0: You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. we have been following along the last couple of weeks. Uh, we are trying hard to have what I've been calling an honest Christmas. So an honest Christmas means acknowledging that in the midst of things like parties and presents and the joy of the holiday season, this time of year is also a very complicated one for many of us, especially emotionally. And it can even feel dark. And so as such, we could all use a little bit of light. And the good news is the Christmas story of scripture is filled with light. And so last week, we looked at the announcement of God finally fulfilling a long-awaited promise, The Messiah uh, was finally coming, and these two people, Zachariah and Elizabeth, an elderly couple who had been unable to bear children to that point, were going to have a son named John who was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And we saw firsthand how God is faithful to deliver every promise he declares. Now this week, we meet a new character in our story, and, and I think that she is marked by one characteristic more than any other characteristic, and that is trusting surrender and the choice to surrender if you think about it is really the decision to stop fighting and so when you think about surrender uh, one of the images that comes to mind for me is the image of a white flag so white flags have historically been raised as a symbol of surrender during times of war or conflict and this powerful gesture symbolizes the willingness of one side to halt hostilities And in specific circumstances, white flags have also been used to indicate a temporary cessation of fighting or to convey a desire for dialogue between opposing factions. And this very desperate act paves the way for what is hopefully constructive discussion and opens up the possibility of finding peaceful resolutions. Furthermore, during times of disaster or conflict, civilians at times have carried white flags as a plea for protection and assistance or safe passage for themselves and their communities. And in each case, that act of raising a white flag represents a conscious decision by an individual or group to disengage from the cycle of violence and to pursue a more peaceful path. So the choice to surrender is the decision to stop fighting. Now, here's the thing. Surrender is the essence of faith, meaning it is the fundamental aspect that defines it. Faith simply can't exist without surrender on our parts. But the problem is, as humans, we naturally are prone to resist surrender. Instead, we strive for control in various aspects of our lives. So we try to manipulate how other people perceive us, By carefully crafting our image, uh, our words, or our actions, we endeavor to control our circumstances and to maintain authority over virtually every aspect of our existence. And our innate resistance to surrender is what makes the story that I'm about to share, I think, so compelling because it teaches us a critical lesson, and that lesson is this. There is simply no sustained faith without surrender. There is no sustained faith, meaning faith for the long haul, faith for the entirety of one's life. There is no sustained faith without surrender. Sometimes I've seen people as they first come to faith, maybe the circumstances in their life feel like they're aligned, things are comfortable, things are good, and they feel filled with faith. And then the moment that a lack of control seeps into life, which happens to all of us, all of a sudden that faith begins to fade. And so that teaches us, from a negative perspective, that there is no sustained faith without surrender. So we see this incredible display of surrender this morning. So if you have a Bible that you want to read from, um, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture will be on the screen. And I want to call this part of this series, Surrendering to God's Will surrendering to God's will all right let's jump right in we're going to start in verse 26 so listen or read along with me it says in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David the virgin's name was Mary Now, pause there for a second, because these first two verses really set the stage for the rest of the story. This narrative unfolds when Elizabeth, who we met last week, she was already six months pregnant, as we'll learn in just a few verses, and the setting for this more recent interaction in Mary's life happens in a town called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, if you don't know, is presently a small city, but during this time in history, it was a rural agricultural village that was not connected to any main road. So what that means is it was small, it was very remote, and it was off the beaten path. And so these characteristics were not, and I would argue are not, what one would typically expect for the birthplace of the Savior of the world. The location of where Jesus would be conceived is very unlikely. Normally, when a significant event is about to occur, it takes place in a prominent metropolitan area. For instance, when a movie premieres, just to use something really simple, they do so in cities like New York or LA or London, you will not find a movie premiering in Buford, Wyoming because the population is one person. I googled that this week, that's an actual fact. These important events that take place in the world tend to happen in very influential locations rather than in obscure ones. However, the unexpected nature of this story extends far beyond the town itself. So the angel Gabriel pays this unexpected visit to a young woman named Mary. Now the text explicitly states that Mary was a virgin, and that signifies two essential points. First, it is evident that she had not engaged in any sexual relationship with a man. That's the obvious one. But then secondly, this detail suggests to us that especially in this culture, Mary was very, very young. So oftentimes in a lot of the artistic renditions of Mary, we see this picture of a young adult or maybe an older teenager. But most scholars estimate her age was somewhere around 13 or 14 years old. And as was common in their culture, Mary was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, it's worth noting that betrothal in their culture had legally binding consequences, unlike our kind of more normative engagements in our own culture. So a betrothed couple was perceived as being bound by marriage, but they waited a full year before the actual wedding took place. And so when we take all of this into account, it's natural for us to wonder why in the world Would the highest ranking angel in heaven visit such a young and seemingly inconspicuous person residing in such an insignificant town? Look with me at verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, greetings favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. So, Similar, uh, or the fact that Mary was deeply troubled, as the text says, when Gabriel first greets her, remember, that's like a common reaction anytime an angel appears to someone. But there is a significant difference in what caused her to be deeply troubled when we compare it to the interaction that Gabriel had with Zachariah. And the difference is in that the text doesn't specify that it was anything about Gabriel's appearance that caused Mary fear. Verse 29 indicates that it was the content of the angel's greeting that left Mary troubled. Listen again. In verse 28, Gabriel says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. See, what troubled Mary about this greeting is that it didn't make any sense to her. There was nothing about Mary that indicated that she was favored by God or that God had some special grand plan for her life. Mary would have seen herself as just a normal, probably relatively insignificant person. Like at least, if you think about it, at least Zechariah was a priest. And when Gabriel appears to him, he's in the temple, like literally outside of the Holy of Holies. So if I'm going to put my money on an angel appearing to someone somewhere, I'm going to bet on a priest standing outside of the Holy Holies, not some young girl in a hillbilly town in the middle of nowhere but that's where Gabriel comes, and so Mary is deeply troubled, and she's confused because she lives away from the bustling crowds. She lives away from the epicenter of cultural activity, and considering the magnitude of the announcement, one would expect it to take place in a far more prominent setting, and so Mary wonders, what does this mean? Why is this angel here? And fortunately, Gabriel does not leave her in suspense, but proceeds to explain how she has found favor with God. Look at verse 30. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So similar to Gabriel's interaction with Zechariah, those words may not carry the same significance for us as they would have for Mary because what Mary was actually hearing was that God was about to fulfill what he had promised to Israel all the way back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. That will be up on the screen. It says this, The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So Mary understood that God had chosen her to play a role in the fulfillment of his promise to send the Messiah. So just imagine that you're Mary, okay? You're 13, 14 years old, and you hear all of this. You hear that you have been chosen by God to conceive the Son of God. Now, if I were to guess, my assumption would be that all of us would have a few follow-up questions in hearing this news. And Mary does too. Notice, she really just has one question. In verse 34, it says, Mary asked the angel, how can this be? Since I have have not had sexual relations with a man. Now, I would argue that's a really good question. (laughs) Obviously, not all questions are created equal. This seems like the perfect question at the perfect time. Because imagine, again, being this young teenage Mary, and hearing that you're about to have a baby. How is she not like, um, Gabe, real quick, this is awkward for both of us because I kind of feel like someone else should be having this conversation with you, but you know like virgins don't have babies, right? There's birds, there's bees, it's a whole thing, but this is not how this works. But all joking aside, her question is entirely understandable. And it's also worth noting that, again, as we compare her response to Zachariah's that we saw last week, it's a very different question than the one that Zechariah asked. Zechariah's question, remember, was motivated by doubt. And due to his doubt, he wanted a sign that this was going to happen. But Mary's question doesn't come from a place of doubt. She just wants a few details, which is fair. And so Mary believes that God can, she seems to have faith that he will, and she simply wants some details surrounding how it's going to happen. Look at verse 35. It says, "'The angel replied to her, "'The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless.' for nothing will be impossible with God. So Gabriel answers her question stating that the Holy Spirit is going to supernaturally conceive the Messiah inside of Mary's womb. And to support God's power and capability to accomplish that, Gabriel presents the sign of God's power in Elizabeth. That that Elizabeth, whom Mary knew to be elderly, Mary knew had been unable to conceive a child, she's now 6 months pregnant. Now, understandably, the doctrine of the virgin birth poses a significant and, again, understandable stumbling block for many, many people. And so some people reject it entirely. Other people consider it unimportant to believe in. And so the question arises, do we truly lose anything if we lose or we deny the doctrine of the virgin birth? And my answer to that would be, yes, I think we do. First and foremost, we lose the testimony of the Bible, Because the text asserts Mary's virginity on three different occasions. Now, this doesn't just refer to her youth. It also refers to her being a virgin in the way that we think of that term. And second of all, we lose the understanding of Jesus' divinity. Because Gabriel explicitly emphasizes the significance of the virgin birth in verse 35, indicating that it is the primary factor underscoring Jesus' holiness. And so if Jesus had an earthly biological father, he wouldn't be the son of God, as stated in verse 37. And so despite the miraculous nature of all of this, it is one of those things in scripture that it's critical that we really do continue to wrestle to take scripture at its word. And considering the incredible nature of Gabriel's announcement, he grounds it in the infinite power of God with the statement that nothing will be impossible for God. Moreover, one could argue, I would argue actually, that Mary's response is even more astounding than the announcement. Look at verse 38. This is where we'll close out this story. Mary says, see, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. That is an astonishing demonstration of trust for Mary. Like, can you recall your experience of being 12 or 13 years old No way I responded like this. There's no way, but she does. And so consider the remarkable maturity that she displays here. In this account, an angel appears to her, communicates with her, informing it that she will conceive and give birth to the Messiah through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And her response is remarkable. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. That is surrender. And this single statement from Mary really represents the culmination of what I see as three significant decisions that Mary makes and that surrender is going to invite from all of us. So before we close, I want you to make a note of these, that surrender invites first and foremost this, that that I would rest in God's approval, that I would rest in God's approval. I want you to consider for a moment what you think would have happened when this unmarried, preteen, small-town girl started to show signs of being pregnant? What do you think would have happened? The same thing that would have happened today. She would have become the center of speculation. She would have become the, the center of judgment and the center of shaming. And think about poor Mary. What is she supposed to do? Tell everyone that the Holy Spirit impregnated her with the Messiah? That's not exactly, I mean, because then she's crazy and pregnant. So no one would have believed that. If they were not directly accusing her of promiscuity, they certainly were whispering about it behind her back. However, Mary demonstrated her surrender to God by finding solace in his approval rather than seeking the approval of those around her. And so here's a sobering truth for all of us. Sometimes experiencing the favor of God in our lives means forfeiting the approval of other people. Sometimes, experiencing the favor of God, we see this in Mary, means forfeiting the approval of others. The reality is that the popularity of honoring God's word continues to decline in our world and in our culture. To be honest, I mean, even as I say that, I'm like, I'm not sure that's true. I don't think it's ever been super popular. But it's definitely not right now. And so the question is, are we going to allow the discouragement of our culture to deter us from obeying Jesus? And that, the answer to that really boils down to seeking approval. Will we live for the approval of God or will we live for the approval of the people around us? See, the reality is we're all guilty of manipulating our appearance in order to gain the approval of others. We do it physically through things like fashion and body image, but we also do it verbally by hiding in conversation or by projecting things about us that we want to be true or perceived. We do it technologically by curating our image on social media. We do it relationally by avoiding conflict. And the problem with living for human approval, I've noticed this. See if this resonates with your experience. Human approval is about as fleeting as Chinese food, meaning it satisfies you for a moment and then an hour later you're hungry for more. I don't know what it is about Chinese food. You eat Chinese food, I have the same experience every time. I eat it, I think my stomach is about to burst and I'm going to die. And then an hour later, I'm like, I could really go for some more orange chicken. I don't know how it happens, but approval from people is like that. And the reality is only God's approval truly satisfies our deepest longings. There is no sustained faith without surrender surrender invites us to rest in God's approval. That's not all. Secondly, we're invited to release the need, and this is very hard, release the need for all the details. Release the need for all the details. You have to consider that even after Gabriel's explanation, Mary was still confused, and she had to have had more questions. Like personally, I read this explanation from Gariel and I find myself having more questions too. However, it is important to note that Mary doesn't persistently demand more details like I probably would. Instead, she surrenders to the information that is provided and she accepts what she doesn't know. And so in this, here's something that I have discovered to be true and that I wish was not. God will never give us enough details to diminish our need to depend on him. He just doesn't do that. God never gives us enough details that would diminish our need to depend on him. And so what this does is it creates a conflict, a conflict between God's priority and our priority. Our priority is always to have all the details because the details have this way of giving us some sense of felt control. But on the other hand, God's priority always lies in sustaining our relationship and deepening our relationship with him. And so I deeply believe that one reason why God does not provide us with all the details in life is because he knows that if we had them, we would choose not to depend on him, consequently hindering our relationship with him. Sustained faith cannot exist without surrender. And surrender requires us to let go of the need to know every single detail. So I invite you this morning to reflect on where you might need to release. Maybe there's something going on in your life, and you are, I've been doing this lately, begging God for detail and understanding, and maybe there's something we're just supposed to let go of and trust that he's with us in the midst of it. And then finally, we're invited to rely on God's unlimited power. To rely on God's unlimited power. Mary's response stands as an exemplary demonstration of trust. She wholeheartedly embraced God at his word and had faith that he was going to fulfill his promise. And so here's what this implies for you and I. Behind every single act of obedience lies God's gentle call believe. Behind every act of obedience, big or small, is God inviting us to believe him. And so take a moment as we get ready to move into a time of reflection. I want you to really consider where in your life you need to continue placing your trust in his power. Maybe it has something to do with the faith of a loved one. Maybe it has something to do with your own faith or perhaps a specific need that requires his intervention. Maybe it's your assurance that he will prove himself sufficient for you and provide you the strength to endure a particular hardship. And while it might seem insurmountable, remember what Gabriel said to Mary because it is true for you and I as well, that nothing is beyond God's power if his word is true. He is able to accomplish even the impossible. And so the question is, will we surrender to his approval? Will we surrender to his wisdom? And will we surrender to his power? And so let's pray and ask him to help us do just that. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you that you are the same God today that you were then. the same God who created the universe, the same God who chose to redeem that creation even though it ran from him and did so in supernatural ways. And Lord, we thank you that that's who you are today. And because of that, Your approval matters more than anything else. Your wisdom is enough for us. We know that you're always working for our good and that you have a plan in all things, and we also acknowledge that we rarely understand very much of it, and that's really, really hard. And we thank you, Lord, that that you are infinitely powerful and that there's nothing that you can't do. And so, Lord, in this very complicated time for many of us, Lord, we ask that you would help us to find some rest and refreshment in those three things. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to surrender to these truths about you. Help us not to fight and to resist, to continue to wear ourselves out and to make ourselves weary, but to just simply let go and the trust and surrender to who you are and what your word says is true about you. And Lord, we all have very specific ways that we need to do that. And so, as we take a moment here to be able to reflect, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to know where specifically are you inviting us to surrender to you today? We thank you that you speak. We ask that you would, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you take just a moment.